Hello and welcome to the Perusia podcast. I'm Shabal Raish, your host, and I'm very excited about our guest today. Very good friend of mine, and he is world class on this topic. Uh, we're going to be talking about the conversion of St. Paul, and it's the founder of CatholicConvert.com, none other than former Baptist, convert to the Catholic faith, uh, the Pilgrim uh, Guide, uh, the International Pilgrim Guide, Steve Ray. Hello, Steve. How are you going? Hello, Charbel. Nice to be with you again, all the way on the other side of the planet. Yes. I mean, you're very accustomed to travel. <laughs> You've been around a lot of countries uh, and back to the Holy Land many, many times. It must be very different for you, of course, uh, in today's circumstance, Israel being sort of closed off and you've had to cancel a few trips, but how has it been going uh, for you otherwise? In March of 2019, we were in Israel and I think we were the last group to leave right before they shut the airport down. And probably if we'd have been there a few days earlier, we'd have been rushed out, but we finished our pilgrimage and we we're probably the last group out before they shut down and we haven't been back yet. Although we're going back in April and in May, and in September, November, and December of this year. So if anybody wants to go with us, we're going to be back in the air again. And oh, Israel just cool. opened up again two weeks ago. They finally got smart and said, it's futile to try to stop COVID by closing the country. It doesn't work. So let's just open the country and let people back in. We'll get our immunities and get back on with life. And that's yeah. what the whole world should say. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, we pray that that does go ahead. That trip, um, I'm I'm still looking forward to to being on one of these trips. I haven't I haven't joined you yet in the Holy Land, so I'm looking forward to joining you one one day myself. So hopefully, in the next year or two. You are one guy. You're one guy. I would really love to show it to because you would be so enthusiastic. You know, a teacher, if he has an enthusiastic group of students, it's much more fun to teach. If you have bored students, it's very difficult. Guys like you on a pilgrimage make my life sweet. It's fun to teach. It's fun to show. I, you elicit the best out of me when guys like you are on the trip, which I always have guys like you on the trip, by the way. But I would really love to have you come along with me sometime. Oh, and likewise. <laughs> well, you've actually, uh, now today's topic, the conversion of St. Paul, it's very interesting because this month, in, in the month of January, we have a feast day called the conversion of St. Paul. Yep, and that's January what prompted 25th. Us it prompted January us to say, who can speak on St. Paul? Oh, it's got to be Steve Ray. And um, uh, you've done a DVD series, we, we, documentary, and I remember we did a nine-part uh, um, series together just in this sort of format, which is all up on our website now, um, and people can watch that. Um, but you've done a DVD with Ignatius Press where you went to the different sites of St. Paul. Um, th there's, a, there's a lot of moving uh, scenes in there, quite emotional, um, and we're going to get to that. But I... Um, it's also personal for me because I've actually been to the place of the conversion as well in Syria. Really? Um, Damascus. It was when I was studying for the priesthood in, and I was in Lebanon. And then we had a day trip. We had a road trip, uh, yeah, to Syria. And I went to the very church uh, where they say he was. the conversion took place. Um, so I do remember. I can visualize. And I think that's where you had an emotional uh, um, moment as well. So I, I, I can't wait to, to get to that. But before I do, I want to start with the obvious. <laughs> I want to start yeah. with the obvious. This is a very unusual um, feast for the church because most saints, are, um, we typically would memorize either their birth or, the, or, or their death, the day that they die. In St. Paul's case, we're remembering, remembering his conversion. Now, what, what's going on there? Why? What's the significance of that? 
Yeah, the whole thing with feast days began to uh, to commemorate the death of a saint where he was born again into heaven, so to speak. But as time went on, the church wanting to keep before our eyes important events in our history so that we don't forget them, started to add other things in. Somebody like the day John the Baptist had his head cut off and other, other um, even the chair of St. Peter is a feast day now. And the, um, the, the churches of uh, St. Peter's and St. Uh, John Lateran where the popes you have always lived prior to St. Peter's. Those are feast days too, because they were so important. They want people to remember them. So the fact that the conversion of St. Paul is a feast day in the year of the church says the church has viewed this as so significant that it doesn't want us to forget about it. It's not only significant for church history, but the conversion of St. Paul is significant for world history. It changed the world. You would not be sitting there in Australia being a Catholic, nor me in Michigan being a Catholic, likely had Paul not gone out into the world and fought for the gospel and defended the gospel. Yes, maybe the other 12 would have done that, but I think that Paul was so significant in the propagation of the faith and in bringing it to the broader world uh, that it was a significant for not only church and religious history, but the history of the world. Nobody has been studied as much as St. Except for Jesus and the Gospels. Yes. Nobody else in world history has been studied more than St. Paul. I doubt other than Jesus, there's more books and theology and writings and debates and treatises than that on St. Paul. So he is got to be one of the top five most significant people in all of world history. So I'm glad he's ours. And I'm yeah. glad we get to celebrate him every year and that the church keeps us remembering about him. Amen. Uh, I mean, uh, I mean, we, we I remember the, uh, the scene. Now, you've been to this very scene that happened in, in, and we can read it in scripture in the book of Acts, uh, the, the moment he converted. You've been there um, and you've, you've actually uh, witnessed it, uh, the, the, especially the road to Damascus. Um, can you explain a bit about what that's like? Yes, you've been there. And I have to say, you're the only other person I know that I that has ever been there. And that's because you're from Lebanon and you were in Lebanon because people that go to Israel or other places like that can't go into Syria. For example, yes. I had to have a second passport because my passport that I use for the rest of the world had an Israeli stamp in it. And I have also in my passport a Lebanese stamp because I went to Lebanon. But that is in a, I had to have a separate two passports to be able to get into Syria. So it's very difficult for an American to get there with their regular passport. And I'm impressed that you were there by that. I didn't know that. And I'm impressed yeah. that you were there and you've seen this. So you, when I'm talking about this, you know what I'm talking about, but I don't know anybody else that's been there. It's a, especially since ISIS and all of the problems, especially in the last 10 years or so, um, Americans just don't go there. But it was to me, um, all of the sites related to St. Paul and his conversion, for example, the place where he was there holding the cloaks and giving his permission to have Stephen stoned. You know, been there many, many times. And all of the sites related to St. Paul, it's, he's a hero of mine. And I felt like I got to know him. I even wore sandals everywhere and I had cracked heels and bleeding feet 
because I wore sandals like he did. I got to feel kind of like what he did. But we drove from what we did is we flew into Amman, Jordan, and then we drove from Amman to to Damascus, Syria. And we picked up our guides as we crossed into the Syrian border. And they had planned this all out for me because they knew we were going to be filming. And I had my wife and I and our and our filming crew. And I said, the first place I want to go, of course, is to the conversion site and the church there, which is called the Church of St. Paul's Vision. And it's just a little thing. You've seen it. I, I think it's really cool that you've seen that. And it, it's on the road, the dusty road. And if you kind of go past the church a little bit, and you look down to the right, there's Damascus. And it's, I was there on a hot day. And it's lower down, and it's a beautiful city. And it was all kind of uniform color of buildings. Just like in Jerusalem, you have to have, all buildings have to, by building code, have Jerusalem limestone. And I think there might be something like that in Damascus, because when you look down at all, is this looks like a similar stone. And you could just see the heat waves, you know, like when you're driving on the road and it's hot and you can see ahead, yes. it looks like the road is shimmering in front of you. And, and Damascus was just shimmering in the sunlight. And I stood there in the dust because it's not a concrete road. It's a dusty road, not one that's traveled much, I think. And I remember just looking up at the sky, thinking of Jesus coming down to speak to him and looking down there and imagining that he's just come probably a hundred and a hundred miles or so from Jerusalem, 150 miles maybe. And I even know the road. I, I can see the road because when we take our groups to Israel, even from the Israel side, I show them a road and I say, we, we look out over Syria up in the Golan Heights. And I say, that's the road right there that St. Paul was on. And he crossed over that hill and just 20 minutes beyond for a car is Damascus. So I, I sat, I stood there with my wife and she's a very patient woman because she knows I get emotional about things like that. And she just puts her arm around me and waits for me to <laughs> get over <laughs> it. It happened the first time landing in Israel too. I just fell on the tarmac and wept for 10 minutes, left a puddle on the, of tears on the tarmac. But um, I, I stood there and I wept. I really did. I just thought of, I am in a place where 2000 years ago, the world was changed. Jesus came down from heaven and he said, Saulus, Saulus. That's what you would have heard. It's not Saul, not Paul. Saul is his, by the way, Saul is his Jewish name and Paul is his Roman name. And he had both because he had two passports also. I feel privileged to be like Paul with two passports. He had his Jewish passport and he had his Roman passport. He had two citizenships. So when he's uh, standing there, Jesus called out to his Jewish name, and he said, Paulus, Paulus, you arrogant, self-righteous Pharisee, a Hebrew of Hebrews, and you think that according to the law, you're blameless, which Paul claimed for himself in the book of Philippians. But he just says, Saulus, Saulus, why do you persecute my church? It's not what he said. It's amazing how many times in a conference I say that and everybody just sits there looking at me and I said, no. aren't you going to argue with me? me. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what Jesus said to them. He didn't say, why did you persecute my church? Why are you persecuting my people? He said, no. solace, solace. Why do you persecute me? Yes. And that gives that uh, we can get into this a little bit later, but th that is kind of the bedrock of, of Paul's later theology. But it's 
I looked out over that place and I wept because I realized the importance of what happened there. And I was standing there and I knew, I know very few people have the privilege of ever standing there. And it just hit me. It just hit me what happened. And I wept and just thinking about it. And I, I can get emotional thinking about it anytime I stop and really remember what happened there. And gratefully, we got it. I've been there a couple of times, first to scout it out and to get prepared for it. And then the second time I went back with the film crew. So, um, yep, it was a very emotional moment for me. And I can still think about it now of that, of that arrogant man. As to the law, I was blameless. I was zealous more than any of my countrymen. I was a Pharisee and a Hebrew of Hebrews. I had the top pedigree. I was top-notch Jewish, and I was persecuting the church because of this heretic, this man that had a motley crew of disciples. They weren't even educated in the law. They were fishermen and carpenters and rabble-rousers. One was an IRS agent. That's a tax collector here in the United States. One was even a tax collector, and, you, and I'm persecuting him because he's leading people away from Moses and away from the temple. And all of a sudden he gets whack, he gets knocked right down. Whether he was on a horse or not, I think he was, we can talk about that, but he got knocked down. And I like to say he got knocked off his high horse of pride and arrogance. And he then was blinded. And I think it's significant that he was blind because sometimes the blind see more than the seeing. And he had to become blind before he could see. And that was also, I think, the beginning of his thorn in the flesh. I think the thorn in the flesh were his eyes. I'll just take a second on that, but because he said he had scales on his eyes that fell off. And he said that I came to you Galatians and I was very unappealing. My appearance was, it put people off. I think his eyes were bad, pussy and sore, had a problem from even began with that day on the Damascus road. And he says that in the end of Galatians, he said, see with what large letters I write. Cause he didn't write the book of Galatians. He dictated it, but then his letters, he would sign them at the end so that they knew they were really from him because others were sending letters out that weren't saying this is from Paul when it wasn't. So he said, see with what large letters I write my name. Why? Because he couldn't see very well. It was big letters so he could see them. He didn't write any of his letters. Tertius wrote the book of Romans, by the way, a man named oh, Tertius. Wow. And in, also in Galatians, he said, I bear you witness that you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me if you could. People just read that. I mean, why would he say that? But I think his eyes are bad. And now you would have plucked out, if you could, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me to replace my bad eyes. And this all happened to him on the road to Damascus. And I think that's where his uh, thorn in the flesh began. And he fell to the ground and he looked up and it's, he sees Jesus. And it's so momentous of an event. You asked, why does the church celebrate it? It's such a momentous event that the scriptures recall the story three times. Three times in the book of Acts, Luke tells that story. The only other story Luke tells three times because of its importance is Paul meeting with Cornelius and having a Gentile receive the Holy Spirit so he could become a Christian without first being circumcised. That story is told three times in the book of Acts. Paul's conversion is told three times in the book of Acts too because of its significance. 
Wow, I never realized that. Okay, I've got to look back at that. <laughs> um, powerful. Uh, as you say, it, it does make sense now. I mean, in this case, he was such, um, you know, persecuting the, the Christians and 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 we, we, we read the, the beginning of Acts and we see how he was overseeing a lot of the persecution and, and uh, wanted to even go out and, and get more. And as he's going to persecute more, that's when the conversion happens in Damascus. It is a very yeah, he, um, amazing story. Sorry. And, and he's, he, he's there when Stephen is stoned and he says yes. he was giving his approval. It's almost as though he was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was already a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee and so on. I would suspect that he was a member of or at least a representative of the Jewish high court called the Sanhedrin because he said that he was there giving his approval. I, this was a death sentence. The Jews yeah. weren't supposed to do capital punishment, but they were so outraged. I think they went outside the city and did this even against Roman law. But they stoned Stephen and he was there approving and holding the, the coats. By the way, St. Um, Augustine said, if it were not for the prayers of St. Stephen that day of the persecution, we would not have had St. Paul. It was the prayers of St. Stephen that ended up being answered by the conversion of St. Paul that we're talking about today. But he then it says that he went to the court, he went to the Sanhedrin, and he got papers. He received papers authorizing him to take the guard, military guys from the court, and go to Damascus to get Christians that were there. It seems like what happened is when the persecution began in Jerusalem, a lot of people fled to Damascus to get away from the persecution. Probably mm. poor old Ananias was one of them. And so they, he's now on his way. And it says in the book of Acts, he was breathing threats of murder. And he was chaining them and binding them and bringing them back to Jerusalem. Because see, the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem was the, was the Supreme Court for Jews, no matter where they were in the world. It would be like right. the Supreme Court of the United States has jurisdiction over any American, no matter where they are. I don't know if that's the case or not. I think it is probably, but the Sanhedrin had jurisdiction over any Jew anywhere in the world. It was the Jewish court. And so Paul was being sent to Damascus to gather up. Normally, it was he's going after Jews. There was no Gentile Christians yet. He's going after the Jewish Christians who had become Christians. By the way, the word Christian, the word Christ, is the same as the word Messiah. Messiah. Mm -hmm means anointed one in Hebrew, Christ means the anointed one in Greek. So Hebrew and Greek, Messiah and Christ are the same word. So when someone says they are a Christian, what they're really saying is, I am a follower of the Jewish Messiah, of hmm. the anointed one. So he's going up there to get the Jews who were claiming Yeshua as their Messiah and Savior, and he was bringing them back, breathing threats of murder, back to Jerusalem to have them incarcerated and judged and hopefully stoned because they were blasphemers. So this is a surrounding. And now he's gone about 150 miles or so. Now let's get to the point about a horse. Was he really on a horse? Rabbis rode mules. Military guys rode horses. Horses were for military. But this was a quasi-military adventure. This was, I don't think these guys would have walked all the way. This was 150 miles. It's hot. It's rough territory. Mm. My guess is they rode a horse. And, and I think all the great artists all through history agree with me. You look at any art of Paul's conversion, you're going to see a horse. Yeah. 
And I think that would be the case. I think I can make a good case that he was on a horse. And that, therefore, when I say he was knocked off his high horse, that gives it a little bit more ring of, of humor in a way. But he was on his way up there and um, he was expecting to go into Damascus with power and glory as a military, yes. quasi military thing. And instead, he was led into Damascus by a little boy, probably by his hand walking along can't see a thing <laughs> he would have um uh yeah thought he was doing the right thing you know before that moment yes and, and you know he was righteous absolutely I, okay that's a good point i'm glad you brought that up i always say to people do you think paul saul of tarsus was wrong to persecute the christians no in his mind he was totally correct he was following the law of Moses. He was protecting Moses and the law. He was protecting the temple and synagogue worship and the sacrifices. He was protecting all of this. This was his goal. He was zealous for the law. Yes. He viewed Jesus and his motley crew of followers as abandoning the law, even to, especially when they started bringing Gentiles in, those unclean, goyim, uncircumcised dogs. How can you bring them in? So he, he had a hero. His hero was named Phineas. And how do I know this? Because he, he more than once says that I was zealous for God. Who else was zealous for God? Phineas. I think it's in Numbers 26, if I remember right, that it, with Phineas, he was um, of the Levites. And they were not supposed to marry women of foreign countries because then they'd bring their foreign gods in. And the he, the Israelite men being in love with his woman would follow, you know, pander to her God as well. And Solomon was an example of that, which is why the kingdom was split in half because of Solomon's pandering to his wives and their pagan gods. He loved his wives more than he loved God. Be careful, men. And so he, um, Paul, Phineas, I'm sorry, this man goes and marries a Moabite woman, brings her into the Israel camp in the book of Numbers, and he's in a sleeping bag with this woman, right in front of everybody. And Phineas is so jealous for the name of God, a plague starts and people are dying because of the plague and Phineas figures out what it is. And he takes his spear and he goes into the tent and those two are in their sleeping bag doing you know what, and whoosh, he puts that spear right through both of them and kills them, pins them to the ground and the plague stopped. And because of that, we have the same words about Phineas that we do about Abraham. Abraham, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. In Psalm 106, verse 31, it says that Phineas did this because of what Phineas did. It was counted to him as righteousness. The same as with Abraham for faith. The same thing was granted to Phineas because of his actions. Mm. And he went in and killed them. The plague stopped. And he was zealous for God. He was, he was zealous for the name of God. Who else says he's zealous for God? Paul, over and over again. So just like Phineas killing those who were violating and breaking the law of God and, and violating the law of Moses, Paul goes out in the name of Phineas, I'm quite convinced, with his lance, although he had a sword, and he was going out to defend the God in his honor and bring back these heretics who were violating the law of Moses in his mind. He was doing absolutely the right thing well, in his mind. Yeah. <clears throat> and now, now, the God um, has other plans, of course. We see the convert. What, what changed? And this is interesting to see 
before and after this conversion, can can we talk about then the situation? What was uh, Saint Paul like after um, the conversion? Okay. First of all, nothing really happened on that day on the road. Now people yeah. say you're crazy. We know what happened. A woman one time stood up at one of my conferences. I know I was telling my conversion story, and she stood up. And she was so giddy, just like a just like so giddy to tell everybody that she stood up and said, "Can I have the microphone?" She said, "I'm Jewish, and I converted to the Catholic Church." I said, "No, you didn't." She said, "Yes, I'm a Christian. I'm Jewish, and I converted to Christianity." I said, "No, no, no, you didn't. You didn't convert to Christianity." And she said, "What do you mean, Mr. Ray? I did." I said, "No, you didn't. You became a fulfilled Jew." I converted. I was a pagan. I became Christian through my parents' influence on me. And later then I converted. And some people say you shouldn't use the word convert from Protestant to Catholic. I, you know, that's a technicality. And in, in convert means to a radical turning. And I did. Yes. So I said, I converted, but you did not convert. You became a fulfilled Jew. In other words, you're Jewish. Paul is Jewish. Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. So when you follow your Jewish Messiah, you're still Jewish. You're just now a Jew following your Messiah. <laughs> so you didn't convert to anything. You just became the fulfillment of what you already were. I converted. She goes, oh, you're right. She says, you're right. So my contention is that, that Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus, nothing really happened in a way because he was on his way to defend and to die for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When he hit the ground and he stood back up, he was still ready to serve and live for and die for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But now he just learned there was a new game plan. The ball, the football game has a new uh, plan. Okay, guys, come back in, huddle together. We got a new plan here <laughs> going on. We got a new quarterback coming. We got a new uh, guy coming in, okay? so. He now learns that everything he knew was true. And he proves that because his old argument in his letters is from the Old Testament, from Moses, his old argument. But he's showing how Moses understood all of this in a way. So he is now saying, I still am a Pharisee of Pharisees. I'm still a Jew. I'm still one. But now I understood there's a new game plan. The Messiah's come. I'm now fulfilled. I'm still doing the same thing, except I understand there's a new game plan now for me to follow. The Christ has come. So I'm now a fulfilled Jew. And that's what he does. He doesn't go to the Gentiles. He's always going first to the Jews to convince them to be really Jewish. I want you to be a real, real Jew. I want you to be fulfilled in your Judaism and follow Jesus, who is and become a Christian, which means a follower of the Jewish Messiah. Yes. So in a way, nothing happened on that day. But again, a radical thing happened that he learned who Jesus really was. And so he totally turned around in the sense of his attitude towards Jesus and what the Messiah was and how the Old Testament was all from the beginning prophesying about this coming of Christ. And now he was going part of the fulfillment of that. I love that. Uh, I mean, this is, I this is pretty much what the Old Testament is all about: pointing towards the coming of the Messiah. And the Jews were waiting for this Messiah, so it makes complete sense what you're saying. Yeah, we're basically a fulfilled Jew. Um, uh, and when you think about that, this was the Messiah that was prophesied from those Jewish scriptures, and it, before their very eyes, did they realize that Jesus, the Jewish carpenter, is that Messiah? Wow. I mean, 
how many there's still a bit of work to do today um, um but you know uh yeah how many of us realize the salvation history as you talked about i, I was thinking of saint stephen uh, before he died he actually does um do a bit of a, a salvation history recap and then they stone him <laughs> but yeah. uh, and then saint paul does that um various times as well in the different um episodes yeah. of his life but um the importance Saint of Catholics Stephen. knowing knowing our history and our and our Old Testament. Right. Saint Stephen's sermon there he gave that, that b- b- scathing lecture he gave to the yes. Jewish leadership. The beauty of it all is he shows how God is not limited to the eight thousand square miles of the land called Israel. He is the God of Israel, and back in those days they considered each country to have their own God. There was a God that took care of them. They had Mm. the God of the Moabites, the God of the Ammonites, and Egypt had its gods, but Yahweh was the God of Israel. And so the Jews got to thinking, as long as we're here on this land, it's our land, it's all about Jerusalem, and he's our God, and he works with us. But Paul, I mean, Stephen said, well, Moses heard the word of God outside of the land of Israel. All he uses all of these experiences of people in the Old Testament. And he's as he's telling the story, where was Abraham? Was he in Jerusalem when God called him? No, he was in Ur of the Chaldees, where you Lebanese of originally <laughs> came from. He was a Ur of the Chaldees. He was over there, called on the other side of the river. Where was where was Moses? Oh, he was all the way out down on the other side of the Nile River. See, it's he was making fun of the Jewish people, saying, It's not about your pedigree. God is bigger than Israel. This Messiah who has come is for the world, not just for you guys. And uh, Jesus did the same thing when he said, uh, one time I remember Jesus was saying that, who was it during the time of Elijah? Elisha, Naaman the prophet was not in Israel. He was a Syrian who was healed of leprosy. And the woman of uh, Zephora, she was... uh, he, she was given bread and uh, wine, uh, see, water, oil and wheat, and it would never run out. He said, these were not Israelites. These were foreigners. And they tried to kill Jesus because he said that, because he was saying that you people don't believe me, but there are foreigners who do believe me. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so this was Paul's situation. And he, um, he now is blinded. Now, can we talk a little bit about Jesus's words about yes. why do you persecute me? Yes, please. I was going to ask. There's just two parts. Is that he, he actually says his name twice. Um, so yes. Saul, Saul, and then and then the the second part. Could you talk about all that? It's an emph- emphasis. It's one of okay. Like if we're talking and I say Charbel, Charbel, you know, this is pretty serious. What I'm going to say. I'm really trying to get your attention. Okay. That's what Jesus yes. was calling attention, showing the significance of this. But he says, why do you persecute me? He doesn't say, why do you persecute my church? Why do you persecute my people? Why do you persecute me? Mm-hmm. And in the movie, um, I say, well, how can Saul, how can Saul persecute Jesus? He, he, Jesus is in heaven. What's he going to do? Pull down, reach a punch Jesus in the nose. How can he persecute Jesus? He cannot. But in the movie, my wife, Janet, comes up to me right there on that road to Damascus, and she stomps on my foot, and the camera goes down, and she stomps on my foot, and I go, ouch, and I said, but did you notice what just happened? My foot got hurt, but my head yelled, ouch. My (laughs) foot didn't yell, ouch. 
My head is attached to my body. We, the people of God, are told we are the body of Christ. He is the head in heaven. The body and the head are connected. So when the body, the church, is in pain, it's the head that yells, ouch. And that's exactly what Jesus was saying, that I am, this is my body. You're persecuting me because you're persecuting my people who are my body, the, mis the mister, uh, mystical body of Christ. So it's becomes the seedbed of all of Paul's theology from that point on. If you listen to Paul, especially in Ephesians, I think I sent you over a chart. In Christ, uh, yes. is there a chart there? Yes, that's right. In Christ, in Ephesians and Colossians, is used 32 times in Ephesians in 155 verses to either say in Christ, in him, or him, in us. In Christ is used 11 times in a thousand words in Ephesians and Colossians together. So here, let me just tell you about Ephesians and Colossians. Paul yeah. wrote both of them. Ephesians emphasizes the body of Christ. Colossians is all about the headship of Christ. They are called twin epistles. You have to read them together. You have to, in fact, at the end of Colossians, it said, all of you, make sure you also read this book. You know, you got to read them together because Ephesians is all about the body of Christ. Colossians is all about the headship of Christ. And you read it and you get the whole body of Christ, head and body. That's and in those, in those two books, you see in Christ used 11 times, a thousand words in Ephesians and Colossians, in Christ, in him. Because Paul is saying everything about your Christian life comes from that word. We are, why do you persecute me? This is my people. I am in them. They are in me. We are one. How do we get baptized? Paul said we get baptized into Christ through our baptism. You are in Christ. It even sees you're seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Even now, positionally, you are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. <laughs> why? Because you are in him. He's the head. We're the body. We're part together. You can't separate it. When you persecute Christ's body, you persecute his head too, because we're all attached. My foot yelled, didn't yell, ouch, my head did. And, though, and the whole of Paul's theology from then on is all about the core. The center of his theology is about we are in Christ and Christ is in us. We are one. Mm. Look through all of his epistles and see if that's not the core element, the core center of everything. And he got that, I'm convinced, from that kernel seed of all of theology from the words why do you persecute me wow that's <laughs> profound <laughs> thank you that's i'm uh, i'm going to look more closely now that st paul's writings it's, it's so deep and beautiful um can i uh, touch on uh i mean the impact now Th this conversion did change the world as you said earlier um and we there's no way to calculate um the the, the emphasis on western civilization can i i mean the impact do we have actually have to understand the, the significance of this, um, uh, you touched on it at the start. Is there anything more to add? I mean, how he he is a, a major. He's not in a. He wasn't one of the twelve selected by Christ, but we put him up there, um, really, uh, alongside Saint Peter, actually, in in many ways. Uh, can we talk about the impact on Western civilization? But then maybe even Saint Peter's conversion in in contrast to Saint Paul's. Well, let's just give one example of how he impacted western civilization in the western world women are equal to men now mm. and it was the western world that brought that about islam 
does not bring that about. Hinduism does not bring that about. Christianity did, and it took some time for that seed to grow. But it did work. And why you look at what Paul wrote in First Corinthians chapter seven. Back in those days, men pretty much owned their families, patriarchal society. They owned their kids. They owned their slaves. Or every, they were totally in control. And uh, the wife was theirs to use for their sexual gratification. And there it was their wife. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, Paul writes in First Corinthians chapter seven and says that women should not withhold the marital duties to their husband because the husband owns their body. I can just see everybody squirming right now. (laughs) The man, the husband owns his wife's body. Therefore she cannot withhold herself from him romantically. But then Paul drops an atom bomb on the Roman empire. He says, and you men do not withhold yourselves from your wife because she owns your body. Can you imagine the atomic bomb that dropped into the Roman Empire? Paul was not in a position to change the laws of Rome. He was not a Roman senator, nor was he the emperor. He was just a lowly apostle. In Rome's eyes, he was just a uh, in Greek, they, in, the, in uh, Greece, they called him a babbler. Mm-hmm which is a Greek word for a bird that goes around picking up seeds everywhere. But he laid the groundwork there that a woman owns her husband's body. And in Galatians, he said, there is neither in Christ, there's neither male nor female, slave nor free, Gentile nor Jew. He just set the whole world on a new course. And over time, it was... Christianity that brought equality to women. And eventually there were a lot of Christians that were wrong as they, as time went on, like even with slavery, but eventually it was the Catholic church that was, and, and Christians and a lot of them, the abolition movement in England that brought an end to slavery too, through time as, as Christianity took more and more root. So it, it, Paul's teaching, how can we even begin to uh, with slavery for example there was Onesimus who was a slave and he uh, he told his master back in Colossae I'm sending your slave back to you but I want you to treat him now as a brother (laughs) what a thing to say how can you treat a slave as a brother but that's what Paul said so Paul's seedbed ideas and we put in the word of God eventually bear root uh, fruit and so the world today says christianity is against women it's against science it's against it christianity had slavery look at this is all rewriting of history christianity Mm -hmm. is what started universities the great art it started um freedom and uh, individuality and freedom for individuals christianity brought about the great medical advancements Look who started a lot of these things. It was Catholic priests and monks a lot of the time. So Paul was the one that started all that. He just had such an impact, not just on the church, but on the world. But look at, he wrote half the books in the New Testament, not half the words, because Luke is the longest book in the New Testament and Acts is the second longest book, both written by a Gentile named Luke. But if you take the titles of the books, and especially if you include Hebrews, Paul wrote half the writings of the New Testament. Peter didn't. Jesus didn't. 
even Jesus didn't write anything. But Paul, there's half of the inspired writings or books of the New Testament are written by St. Paul. That's just blows your mind. Um, yeah, this one man, what a significant impact he's had. Um, uh, yeah, I'll reveal to everyone a bit about, uh, yeah, uh, Perusia's little connection because St. Paul had an impact on, on one of our patrons for a reason. But before I get to St. Peter and Paul, um, they, they the conversion was very different. Um, could you touch on St. Peter's one? Because, you know, we, we, we forget about how St. Peter also converted. Yeah, these guys... Um... These guys had very different conversions and the, the same in the sense that they're both uh, baptized and brought into the, the body of Christ. But Paul, from his conversion, you don't ever see him waffle. You never see him go to the left or the right. You never see him deny Christ. You never see him hesitate. It's like he's a horse with blinders on and he never sees anything left or right. He sees the goal. He sees the finish mark, the finish line up there. And if he wrote Hebrews, and I think he may very well have written Hebrews, we don't know for sure. He says, cast aside everything. We have such a great cloud of witnesses. So he sees it in sports terminology. It's like a football game. You have all the, in the stands, all the people cheering. This is the saints in heaven. There's a whole cloud of witnesses, the saints in heaven. It's in a, a big arena and they're all cheering you on. And you're now in space and time on the playing field and you're running to get the prize. They've already won the prize. They're cheering you on and you're saying, cheer me on, help me. I got it. And you're running the race and you cast everything aside. The runners in the Olympics originally ran completely stark naked. They didn't wear any clothes when they ran the race because they didn't want to get tangled up in their clothes and trip and fall on the, on the start out line. They didn't want any wind to hold them back. They shaved their bodies and they were naked and they ran and what did they get they got a stupid celery leaf that they wrapped on their head or a branch from a palm tree which at six months from now is going to fall off and be gone anyway why spend four years of your life racing just to get that stupid crown paul they says that you paul cast everything aside every sin and everything that'll hold you back and run the race then there's a waiting for you a crown of righteousness eternal it's a crown it says that it's incorruptible. That's because the other runners had corruptible crowns. Yes. You're going to win an incorruptible crown. So Paul sees this and he runs the race. He does nothing stops him. He said, I'm running the race. And at the end, second Timothy, he writes to his son in the faith and he gives him his last will and testament. He said, I've run the race. I've finished the course and waiting for me is a crown of eternal life. And, but his whole life was lived that way. Now, Paul, Peter, on the other hand, even before he's out of the chute, before he's even on the starting point, he denies Jesus. And he, in front of three little girls, he, little servant girls, he denies, I don't even know the man. Damn it, he said, curses. I don't even know the man. Then he, Jesus turns and looks at him. In the Gospel of Luke, I just, this is a stunning verse that said that after he did this, it said, Jesus turned and looked at Peter. Can you imagine that look? And then Peter went out and wept. And he then, you see him, he, he had his problems here and there. He stumbled and even Paul had to confront him in the book of Galatians. He said, I confronted Peter to his face because he stood condemned. He was a hypocrite. It's not that Peter was teaching wrong, but he was not living up to his teaching. 
he was favoring the Jews over the Gentiles. That's another whole story we could do. But he was said that Jews and Gentiles are equal members of the body of Christ. Both are saved by faith. And yet when the Jews came, Peter would stay over here with the Jews and kind of ignore the Gentiles. And Peter and Paul says, if you teach that they're equal, then you are being a hypocrite. And I confronted him to his face because he stood condemned. So Peter, he he struggled back and forth with things like that. But I, I think you could probably get Paul for a few things because he's out there taking a letter that says that we don't need to be circumcised, you Gentiles. You can just be saved by faith. And you, uh, the Gentiles do not need to be circumcised. And those Judaizers are saying you have to be circumcised to become a Jew first before you can have the Jewish Messiah and be a Christian. And Paul said, they're trying to steal our liberty away from us. And he said, I, at one point in Galatians 5, I wish they'd slip with a knife and cut the whole thing off. Oh. English Bible say mutilate themselves or something. The word is castrate. I wish they would just castrate themselves. But you know what Paul did? On his next trip, the first thing he did is he got Timothy and he circumcised Timothy. Interesting. It was an expedient thing to do. It was a prudential judgment so that he could better go out among the Jews who would say, well, you got a Gentile. No, he's circumcised. But it's Interesting. still a lot of people you could view that as a compromise of the gospel. But Paul and overall just ran the race, never looking back. That's one conversion model yes peter he stumbled and flumbled flopped around but he ends up giving his life for jesus in the end and they both are in heaven but they have different conversion stories yes i can i kind of tend to relate to saint paul i mean peter <laughs> kind of flopping around a lot you know but um, i think that we can look at those two and see two very different conversions and yet both conversions and both to the same christ wow powerful um, um just maybe as we as we wrapping up here i do want to i mean i'm looking at um the image here uh, you sent you're in a basket and i remind you <laughs> of the scene in the basket um in that church where you lowered down you literally went in there and replicated the scene um and and maybe as a sort of a a bit about this dvd um this documentary what what other things can people learn about i mean what we've talked about here but more about the documentary I had a lot of fun doing that. We filmed it in six <laughs> countries, Israel and Syria and uh, Rome and Turkey and um, other places, six countries it was in. And I wanted to really, it's, it's difficult to share the life of St. Paul in six countries in 90 minutes was what we did. But we, we did do it. And we, I think, brought him to life a lot. Um, all the way from Tarsus, where he was born, which is in Turkey of today. He was born up in a pagan country of Turkey, uh, which it was Asia Minor at the time called Tarsus. Cilicia was the province. But he was a very passionate man, full of fire, full of passion. And he was indomitable. There's no stopping him. And it was a true delight for me to follow his life all the way from Tarsus. There's still a well there and there's still the Roman road that runs through Tarsus that Paul would have walked on and the well where he would have gotten a drink in Tarsus. And then all the way through his life, through all those countries, and we end up in Rome in the Mamertine prison where he and Peter were imprisoned and he writes 2 Timothy from there. And there's a lot of these 
newfangled scholars that will say that Paul didn't really write first and second Timothy and Titus because the language is a little bit different and so on. But I say bollocks on that. Mm -hmm. um, he wrote those. The early Christians knew he wrote them. It's only in the last hundred years that scholars say, well, we have determined because we have computers that Paul didn't write them. Of course he wrote those books. And he was writing his last will and testament. And why was he changing? Because his life had come to an end. He was now no longer concerned with the death and dying of people like in First and Second Thessalonians or being in Christ like Ephesians he wrote from Rome. He's now at the end of his life and he wants the church to go on. And First and Second Timothy and Titus are all about the organization of the church and making sure you have bishops. Why? Because Paul knows his life is short and he's got to get those churches set up for his departure. And there he is in that Mamertine prison with with rats nipping at his flesh. These, this, this prison was used by Caesar uh, Augustus, uh, 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 Marcus Aurelius, Julius Caesar, I'm sorry. And, and there would have been, it's a prison that was a cistern underground. It was just a hole. And you dropped the prisoners in. They didn't send the janitorial staff down there to clean that ever. These guys were living in who knows how much excrement and urine from prisoners for hundreds or more years dropping down scraps of food and paul says he writes to timothy he gets the letter out he says bring me my my parchments that i can read before i go and he says bring me my cloak it's cold down here and i'm anxious to see you before i go because i'm ready to be poured out as a drink offering and they pull him out of there and they take him out to the uh the west the, the outskirts of rome and there's still the road there and i i love it when i take our groups i'll be there in March, I'm taking a group there in March right. on the, that's uh, called the Saints and Shrines of Italy. We're starting in Milan and we're going to work our way all the way through. It's time for the Angelus here. So I have an alarm to remind me, but we, there's still the road there and you can still see the road. And I always give a 20 minute talk there about the end of Paul's life. And then you go into the church and there's the column where he was tied up before they cut his head off. And that's the end of Paul's life. There's a little more to it. Then, then there's the catacombs where he was buried. And then he goes to the church of, he's now under the church of St. Paul outside the walls. His, his sarcophagus is there. But his conversion was probably, if you were going to look at the top events in all of world history, I think the, the coming of the law with Moses and the, incarnation and life and death of Jesus Christ. I think you're going to have Paul right up there with them because he's the one that took that like a race. You know, he took the, the mantle and he kept running with it and he brought it to the world. And uh, so his conversion is so significant and it is so important that we remember it and emulate it. Yeah. Amen. What an inspiration. What a model. Um, Maybe our final, as we close, um, I, I just want to share, I remember it was 17 years ago when we um, registered Perusia, and, and I remember just thinking, what is it that I'm trying to do, evangelize and spread the gospel? What am I trying to do, and who am I trying to imitate? If you're, Of course, we're all trying to imitate Christ, but who, who imitated Christ? St. Paul didn't waste any time in his, in, his, in his efforts evangelizing the known world. Um, and the way he did it um, and how he traveled by ship to different and how many times he was shipwrecked and how many times, uh, you know, he was he was near death multiple times in and out of jail. I remember thinking the impact this one man had um, going doing things the long way 
imagine us now with the technology. And I was remember I remembering registering the first website uh, of Parisian and, uh, and thinking, wow, in in a, in a click of a button, we can now reach tens of thousands of people. Imagine what Saint Paul would have done if he had the technology we had today. He had to do things the long way back then. Imagine now what would Saint Paul do with the with the with the things today. I just want to invite you as you um you you remind me of Saint Paul in many ways. You you don't stop yourself. You're you're always running. Um, uh, you, you know you, you're full of energy and uh, um, you know you you're trying to bring souls back to God in uh, any 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 possible any moment and that's why i love hearing these stories about you you've got your website you, you update you let people know about where your movements are and people can journey with you can i give you the final statement here of in, uh just words of advice for people out there um to be inspired by saint paul what can we do this on the feast of the conversion of saint paul what should change in our lives uh after after being inspired by his life all said and just imagine somebody having the audacity to say this, be yeah. imitators of me as I am of Christ. I, I'm, I would be hesitant to go around and say, everybody, imitate me, do what I'm doing, follow me, follow my example. I, I could say that maybe in some areas, and I do to my kids, but uh, to be able to say like St. Paul, be imitators of me as I am of Christ, we should get to know his books. We should get to know his writings. We should study his life. Get that movie and watch it because it gives you a real, yeah, and you sell them there in Australia. You have yes. them at your, at your website and you have all of our, my videos and books there. And um, so get a copy of that movie, um, support Charbel too. He makes the money off it. And it's a way you're supporting Perusia Ministries and, um, and learning about St. Paul at the same time. I may get a little commission. I don't think so though. I, I, I don't think there's much come my way from it, but um, I would say that we get to know Paul, start thinking and meditating on him. What did he do? Look at his life. How did he live? Follow what he did. Take his attitude that nothing else is worth Christ. I, I did a show this morning on toilets and waste in the Bible. It was really an interesting show on EWTN. Okay. And I got a lot of positive feedback from it. And there's a place in Paul where he says in Philippians chapter three, verse eight, he said, I had all of these things as a Jew. I was self-righteous, but he said, I counted them all as rubbish. And that word rubbish, rubbish. in he Greek is excrement. Huh, okay. <laughs> I counted all as dung. Everything that was to my, from me, everything was, I counted it all as dung that I may gain Christ. Christ is the most important thing. That's what counts. And I count everything else as that I may gain Christ. And if we as Christians had that kind of an attitude, I'm going to count all the other advantages. Yes, I have to go out and work. I have to pay for my family. I need all these things. But I have to realize that all of these are passing. Everything I do, every moment of my life, everything I own in some way should be to bring glory to God. Everything should be done like Paul said, to bring glory to him, that I may gain Christ. And at the end of his life, he said, or in the middle of his life, I think in Philippians, he said, I have not yet attained to the resurrection. Those who say you're once saved, always saved, you have eternal security. Paul said himself, I have not yet attained to the resurrection, but I labor and I move so that I may attain to it. And at the end, he says, I now have attained, I'm going to attain it now. I've run the race. I've finished the course. We're not done until we finish the course. 
And we should run to win the crown, just like Paul did. Amen, amen. That's awesome. Awesome. Uh, you fired me up now, and, uh, and I just love it. Thank you um, so much, uh, Steve. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, You're uh, welcome. Starting, you know, our our first guest of the year um, for our podcast in 2022, and and I really hope people will enter into this this feast day, uh, the conversion of Saint Paul, in, in a new way, in a, in, and may strengthen our own faiths as well. Um, uh, if anyone wants to visit your website, just that website again for anyone who wants to stay in touch with you. Very easy. I this is a conversion of St. Paul. This is a conversion of Steve Ray. It's Catholic convert. I'm just go Beautiful. to catholicconvert.com. And there we are. You can't get simpler than that. That's awesome. So thank you again, uh, Steve. God bless you. Praying for you. Thank you everyone for watching. I'm Matt Sharbaris, your host. I want to thank uh, EWTN and Voice of Charity, of course, who also air these programs for us. Our partnership there is so valued. And, and that's what we want to do. We want to collaborate with many people. May visit our website, perusiamedia.com, to know all of the resources by Steve Ray and, and deepen your faith this year. This is a, a challenge. I want to challenge everyone. Um, your New Year's resolution is to go deeper in your faith, your relationship with God. And remember, how hard do we work? How hard do we study to get a job, to get a qualification, to get a paycheck? How much more should we be working? Not just to get a piece of a, a check or, or, or some cash. But imagine about the prize that, that's waiting for us in heaven. How much more should we be working for that? So let's take our faith seriously. And this year, make it a real priority in your life. I'm Shabarash. Thank you again. Until next time, God bless. Thanks for listening to the Perusia Podcast. If you've enjoyed these podcasts, please share with your family and friends. And for more information about everything Perusia, please visit our website at perusiamedia.com.